Today we're going to be diving into John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn there. Um, so, so while you're turning there, just to, to let you in on a little bit about me, I know I haven't had the honor of meeting a lot of you, but I want to kind of let you in on who I am. I like, uh, there's a lot of things in this world that I like. I, uh, I, I, really, uh, I, I really like to go fishing. I know I look like this, and my wife coined the phrase a metro redneck because I look like this, and, but I like to go fishing and hunting. I like to wet a line and, and and then uh, shoot a gun and ride four-wheelers and stuff like that. Uh, so I like to do that kind of outdoorsy thing. I also really like, you're probably not going to like this, but I really like the Georgia Bulldogs, go dogs. And um, I know, don't tune me out for the rest of the sermon, all right? I, I know it was a rough day yesterday, but go dogs. And, um, and so, <laughs> but, uh, but man, I, I, there's a lot of things I really like, but I'm, I'm very passionate. And as you can see, I'm a very passionate guy. But there are three things that I'm really, really passionate about. Number one, I'm passionate about Jesus. I, I, Jesus has changed my life. I went from darkness to light. I was blind, and now I can see Jesus has made a difference in my life. And I can't, I can't shut up about him. He's, he's done so much. I love Jesus. Uh, number two passion of mine is my family. I love my family. I'm married to a beautiful woman named Megan, and uh, just just she was here this morning. She's had a whirlwind of a week. She uh, was getting her house prepped and ready to, to go on the market this week, and she drove up here with the kids. We have three kids, Lily, Lucy, and Eli. Uh, Lily is my 12-year-old. She's so beautiful, tender-hearted. She texted me this morning. They were here at the at the 9.30, texted me, you did such a good job, Daddy. Just so sweet. And then Lucy's my tornado. She's running all over the place. She's seven. She's awesome. We were twinning today. We, we, we looked exactly alike. And then my, my son, Eli, it just depends on the day who he introduces himself as. Last week it was Iron Man. This week it was Ant-Man. And, and so, but he's, he's awesome. He is such a cool little kid. <clears throat> and they're heading back to Atlanta. I want to invite you to pray alongside me. Uh, my wife and I have the, just the privilege of being married to, to a member of Casting Crowns, and they're going on the road this week. I'm going to be gone for two weeks. And so I won't see my family for, for a couple of weeks. But God's doing some amazing things. So I have a privilege of just being on this side of what God's doing in their ministry of casting crowns. And so I'm passionate about Jesus. I'm passionate about my family. But I'm super passionate about ministry. I love what God has called me to do. I count it a privilege to be a youth pastor. I, I count it a privilege to be here and serve this body of believers. And, and so this morning, I am so blessed to be able to, to open up God's word and, and deliver it to you this morning. That, that, that We're praying that it's nothing that I say. It's all God's words and that you'll leave here changed by the power of God's word. So John chapter 11, we'll get to that in a second. Has anybody ever heard the phrase, we have nothing to fear but fear itself? Ever, anybody? Ever, surely there's a few of us that heard that. Well, that was coined in 1932 by, by uh, one of our, our presidents, Franklin D. Roosevelt said that. And it was during the, the Great Depression and people needed hope. And they were losing everything. They, they couldn't find jobs. And, and they were in, the, in this deep depression. And, and they needed some assurance, some reassurance. And so he coined this phrase. He said this to just try to re, reestablish some, some hope in the country that we have nothing to fear but fear itself. So it, just a, along the same lines of, of that fear of what we're talking about today, we've been in this series called Stuck, and, and we've, we've went through the past couple of weeks in John, and we get to this, uh, this sermon today talking about fear and, 
And as we're talking about this, it, you know, I, I was born in the 80s, I'm kind of, I would, but I would say I'm a child of the 90s, you know, I, I love, you know, Trapper Keepers, those were really cool, you know, and, and so, so I love the TV shows Saved by the Bell, but I'm reminded of this one uh, story all about how a boy's life got flipped, turned upside down, and, uh, and he took moments, uh, as we just sat right there, and he told us how he became the prince of a town called Bel Air. And, and so Will Smith, man, he was, he, I loved Will Smith growing up, you know, and, and man, he just turned 50 years old, 50 years old, Will Smith. He said, okay, I, I've got this fear of heights. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go bungee jumping for my 50th birthday. I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. But he said, I want to just stop there. I want to bungee jump out of a helicopter. Okay. And not just that, I want, a heli- I want a bungee jump out of a helicopter over the Grand Canyon. <laughs> Bro, like one of those things, but man, he's conquering this fear. And man, we all have fears, if we were just to be honest, and some are irrational and some are irrational. Maybe you heard of some of these fears, arachnophobia. Anybody ever heard of that fear? You know, what, do you know what the fear, that's fear of? Spiders, fear, fear, fear of spiders. We saw a movie back in the 80s and 90s. John Goodman, you know, had that can of hairspray and a flame, and he's shooting that thing. I think all men did that at some point after seeing that movie. What about aphidiophobia? Anybody ever heard of that? Fear of snakes. Anybody have that fear? Fear of snakes? Yeah, amen. I hate those things. They can all burn in the pit of hell for all I care. So I hate snakes. Claustrophobia. Anybody ever heard of that? Fear of tight, tight uh, enclosed spaces. What about cholerophobia, cholerophobia, fear of clowns. Some of you, yeah. Oh, and I love when I say that one because it's like people are like pointing, no, that's you, cholerophobia right there. This was a new one. I I just found this one out. It's called nomophobia, nomophobia. And this is like serious, nomophobia. It's the fear of not having cell service. Like no joke, nomophobia. And some of us struggle, struggle with that. Listen, as a youth pastor, I have, to, I have to conquer some of those fears. You know, I can't be fearful of spiders because I got to step on them, you know. You know a snake comes in, you know, if we're on a camping trip or something, I got to be the brave one that picks the thing up. Actually, I just let Matt do that. If you were here last week, you heard that story. That joker, man, grabbed that snake and held it up and like looked, looked him right in the eye and took that garden snake and put it outside. And, and I, was, I was, but listen, I ain't going to pick the thing up. He did so good. Listen. But I'm fearful. I've got some fears. I'm fearful. I hadn't thought about this till recently. I'm fearful about being buried alive. Like, it's, yeah, I never think about that. Yeah, I don't want to be buried alive. I'm just being honest with you. But then I've got another one, and, I, and this, this has gotten deeper as I've gotten older. I have to read It's salachophobia, salachophobia. And this is a real thing, a fear of sharks. Now, I can, I can watch Shark Week all day long. I, I, I can watch them on TV, look at pictures of them. Man, I, I might even be cool with swimming in the ocean with a cage around me with those things. But when I'm in the ocean with my kids, man, I'm watching my back like I'm in downtown Atlanta. Because, like, I'm, I'm just waiting on one of those sharks to come at me, you know? I just, and, and, and so, like I said, some are irrational. I've never been buried alive. I've never been bitten by a shark. But if we're all, to be honest, we are fearful about something. And some of you in here right now, some of us are in here, we're, we're kind of getting a little anxious, like trying to do self-talk our way through the rest of this message, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, we can do it. We got this. But let me pose a question. As we, as, we, as we start to begin, let me put, is, is it possible that some of us can feel stuck in our personal life, our family life, our work life because of the fears that, that overcome us? 
Is it possible that we can get so, so wound, so tight, so bound by our fears that they take control of our actions, our thoughts, our attitude, our language? And, and I do think, if we were just to be honest in this room, that there's one fear, and the fear that we're going to speak into today that some of us are stuck in is this fear of death. And that's a valid fear. Do you understand that fear is actually the, or excuse me, death is the number two most fearful thing that people are scared of? Number two, you know what the first one is? Public speaking. Yeah, public speaking. People would rather be in the casket than preaching the funeral. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's so crazy. It's so crazy, but that's, that's the number two fear. But, but many of us are fearful of death, whether you're a believer or unbeliever in this place. We're, we're, we're fearful of death because here's the thing. It, it, it's for, for the believer, we're, we're maybe not so fearful where, for eternity, and we'll get to that in a second, but we're fearful of, of uh, when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen or, or the circumstances based in the, the circumstance of it, death occurring. And some of us feel stuck in that fear. And, and, and maybe it's fear of losing our life for the sake of the gospel. I, I don't know. But I'm reminded of, of one of my favorite psalms. And if, you, if, you're, if you're looking for something to read in your quiet times this week, Psalm 139 is so good. I'm reminded of what the psalmist says that all my days are ordained by God before, uh, before any of them, before one of them happened. And I love Psalm 139, how the writer talks about how he hymns us in. He knows, our, our, he knows everything are going and are lying down. He knows our thoughts from afar. And I'm so glad that God's ordained those days. And as we talk about the fear of death this morning in John chapter 11, man, I, I want to invite you just to, to dial in on this familiar story. As we talk about this, we're, the way I preach is, is I like to take Scripture, I kind of like to break it apart and then put it back together and give you some applications so when you leave here, you'll be encouraged to live this week out for the sake of the gospel. And hopefully, this maybe will conquer some of your fears over death. Is that, is that, is that okay with you guys this morning? Well, let me pray, and we're going to dive into our Scripture, John chapter 11. Lord, I love you so much. I thank you for these folks that are here. God, I pray that you would bless them today, Lord. I pray that you illuminate your word through a familiar story to them, Lord, this morning, Lord. I pray that they leave here encouraged and challenged, Lord, to love you more. So we thank you, Jesus, for your love. We thank you for your grace, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 11 is one of these chapters in this gospel that we could really, if we wanted to, we could really break it down into about four or five sermons. There's so much meat, so much truth in there. And, uh, and, and to, to, today, we're, we're really going to hone in on some major parts. And, and like we've been talking about over the past few weeks, you know, we've, we've talked about being, uh, uh, being set free from shame. Man, that was a great talk, wasn't it? Man, God really spoke to me through that. Man, being set free from being blind to the, uh, and then being set free from wandering. As we come around the bend to chapter 11, we see a story, again, a familiar story. And it's really a heartbreaking story at the beginning. Beginning. It really is. And we, we meet two sisters, Mary and Mar- Martha, and who have a brother named Lazarus who's very sick. He's very ill. And, and Jesus, remember back in those, those other talks and, and those other chapters of John uh, 8, 9, 10, he's, he, he's been in Jerusalem and he's teaching, he's healing, and he, he's sharing truth. And, and the sisters get word to Jesus that their brother is sick. Now, let's, let's dive in and look, look at uh, verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. 
It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was whose brother's whose brother Lazarus was ill, excuse me. So the sisters sent to him saying, "Lord, he who you love is ill." You need to understand anytime you see that kind of language, um, he who you love or uh, John uses this a lot in his gospel and I love it. it, it it's it's close friendship. Almost best friend level. That's, that's why I love the Gospel of John, because John's uh, telling a story about his best friend. And it, you, you, tell, you tell about your best friend a little different. So when you see this, that, Lord, he whom you love is ill, that, that's some serious talk. And so when Jesus hears this, he hears this news, he makes a bold statement. And you'll see this all throughout this chapter. There's a lot of things that, that Jesus just throws out, just, just really truth bombs out there in this. But, but when we get to verse 4, he says this. When Jesus heard it, he says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That's bold right there. And then he goes on to say in verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha, this is John saying this, and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, if you heard that your best friend was sick or ill, and maybe on the verge of dying, you would be on your way, right? You, you do what you can. But Jesus doesn't do this. He hears the news, and he stays two more days. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So, so when he gets this, in my feeble mind, I'm trying to wrap my brain around this. Okay, Jesus, you hear your friend is, is on the verge of death, but you're going to hang out two more days. And the disciples, listen, you, you see this through verses 7 through 14. Read it later. There's a lot of good stuff that the disciples, a lot, a lot of those moments where you kind of see yourself in Scripture a little bit. And, 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 and the, definitely the conversation between Thomas and Jesus was really cool. But during this time, Lazarus ultimately dies. He passes away, and he's dead. And at that point, the disciples decide to go. You need to see how that kind of unfolded. Check it out. It's just really, really cool. But by the time Jesus gets to Bethany, by the time Jesus gets to Bethany, Lazarus has been in the grave. He's been in that tomb for four days. And there's no doubt Lazarus is dead. There's no doubt about it that Lazarus is dead. He's not in a coma. He's not in a deep sleep. He's not taking a long nap. No, he is dead. He has failed to inhale one more time. He's dead. They have put the, they have put the, the grave clothes around him. They have anointed his body with ointment, and they have put him in that tomb and rolled the stone in front of it. Lazarus is dead. They are mourning. They're having the funeral. The, the mourners are there. The flautists are playing. They're flouting over there. They're, that's people who play the flute. They're, so they're, they're coming. They're, they, I, want, I want you to grasp this. Lazarus is dead. And Jesus is on his way. And as he's almost there, Martha meets Jesus out on the road. And honestly, she, in her confusion and her frustration, she lets Jesus have it. She really does. And look at verse 21. She says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can imagine the, the passion on her lips as she's saying this to Jesus. If you would have just been here, he wouldn't have passed away, but in that confusion. Have you ever been saying things and, and you, just, you just blurt things out and you're like, oh, it, it, just in that same breath, she says this, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Even in her confusion, she's trying to make sense of it all. She's trying to figure it out. 
She's trying to, okay, God, you're, you're Jesus, you're here. But if you had, if you'd been here earlier, he wouldn't have died, but you're here now. You just fix it. That's what she's saying. And then Jesus throws this down in verse 23. He looks at her and says, your brother will rise again. And Martha, again, in her tears and just her complexion is down. And she says, I, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And I have a feeling Jesus, I, I kind of like to, to I don't, I, I don't want to put this out there as like just saying things that Scripture don't say. But I, I kind of have a feeling Jesus picks her head up and says, just looks her right in the eye and says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus asks these, he asks a question, four words long. Probably one of the most important things in this little section here. He asks this question, he says this, do you believe this? Do you believe this? You see, Jesus hated that Lazarus had died. It didn't take him by surprise. He didn't flinch at it, but he hated that Jesus had died. He hated that Martha was upset. He hated that Mary was crying. And at this moment, Jesus is deeply, deeply upset. He is mad. Verse 33, if you look at this, the ESV says that he is deeply moved and greatly troubled. It might be better translated that in, in that moment, he groaned. He groaned. It would be simple to say, and I agree with this, Jesus was sympathetic to his friends. And I would honestly say that Jesus was compassionate about the moment that was going on. But in this moment, you don't need to understand that the Greek translates groaned is that he snorted in anger. He was mad. At this point, he, his fists were just balled up. He was tense. His whole body was clenched. He's crying. He's weeping in his anger. He is so mad at this going on. He's so mad at this point. And we see this, the most quoted phrase, the most memorized verse in Scripture was right here. Jesus wept. And yes, it was tears out of compassion and sympathy. But it was more tears out of anger. And why was Jesus mad? Why was he angry? Man, he was mad at this moment because of sin. He hated what was going on. He hated seeing his friends hurting. He hated that all this pain and all this suffering was caused because of sin. And that's what made him mad. That's what made him angry. And at that moment, he walked up and he was, he was gritting his teeth. And at that moment, he walked right up to that tomb. And he says, roll that stone away. Roll it away. With all authority in heaven. You see, Lazarus had been in that tomb, remember, for four days. By that time, they didn't have any embalming, or in that time, they didn't embalm the body. So at this point, the odor of death had sunk in. And Martha comes up and talks to Jesus about it, and, and Jesus reminds Martha that this isn't about her, and this isn't about the people. And honestly, at the end of the day, it's not about Lazarus. This might be something, if you're taking notes, you write this down. This is all to show off the glory of God. Everything that's happened in this scene is to show off the glory of God. And after Jesus prays, it's not a prayer of request. It's not a prayer of resurrection. It is a prayer of thanksgiving. You can read it. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. 
he gets done praying. And he cries out in a loud voice. I love, again, how Scripture says what it says. He cries out in a loud voice. He says, Lazarus. He's calling out to his friend. He says, Lazarus, just like you would see your friend long off or, or someone. Lazarus, come out. Come out. And check this in verse 44. If you got a pen or a highlighter or mascara, I don't care. If you got something to write with, you want to underline these words right here. The man who had died came out. He came out. His hands and feet were bound with linens and his face wrapped with a cloth. Lazarus was alive. Lazarus was alive. Jesus just went toe-to-toe with death and he won. Then Jesus saying these words, which I think are some of the most powerful words in Scripture. I really do. Especially in this moment, he says these words, unbind him and let him go. And Lazarus didn't need those grave clothes anymore. He was alive. He didn't need to be wrapped up. He said, unbind him and let him go. If we were to be honest with ourselves in this moment, most of us have come in encounter with death at some point. Whether it's a friend or a family member or someone we've worked with at, at work or we've gone to school with, we've all come in contact with death at some point. And, and listen, I, I, I'm not, just again, I'm, I'm being transparent. You know, I told you my three passions. There, there are a few things that I hate in this world. Like, number one, I hate Satan. I hate the enemy. Like, he is the Oh, I can't stand them. But number two, it, really honestly, is probably running. And then number three is, <laughs> is math. Like Satan running math. And math and running kind of go back and forth with each other. But the only statistic that I've ever gotten right, ever, the only, the only thing I've ever gotten right, and it's happened every single time that I, that I can think of when I share this, 10 out of 10 people will die. A hundred out of a hundred people will die. 152 million out of 152 million will die. Someday you will fail to inhale. I'm praying it's not today. I'm praying it's not tomorrow. I'm praying it's not this way. I pray pray it'll be a while. But at some point, you will fail to inhale. And and some of us are fearful of that. We're we're fearful of that moment of what's it going to be like? What am I going to feel like? How's it all going to go down? And you're sitting there and, and you're saying, saying, how can I be fear, freed from that fear that grips me? How can I be freed? Like, how can I be encouraged with that? Well, I'm so glad you asked because that's what I want to do. I want to encourage you through God's word this morning. So as a good Baptist that I am, especially a good Baptist preacher, I got four points. No poem at the end, but I've got four points. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write these down just as encouragement. Just as encouragement. Number one. These are things that they're out of this, this scripture. And you have to remember, if you, haven't, if you hadn't gotten this point already, that this is a story not about Lazarus, but this is a story about the power of God through Jesus. Power of God through Jesus. So number one, if you're struggling in that fear for death, you understand this, number one, that in death, Jesus is in control. Jesus is in control in death. So many times we hear that in church. You hear preachers say that. You hear uh, uh, godly speakers say that. And, and maybe you've been in a counseling moment where someone says, Jesus is in control. 
I think too many times we hear that so much, and we just kind of put it on the, put it on the back burner. Yeah, we, yeah, I get it. Jesus is in control. But what I want you to understand, what I want you to lean in on this this morning, is that Jesus is in control. Nothing takes him by surprise. He didn't flinch at Lazarus, and he's not flinching at the situations that you're going through right now in your life. He's not, he's, not, he's not sitting there going, oh, man, the coincidence of this happening. No, no, no. It didn't take him by surprise. And the things that are going on in your world, it's not taking him by surprise. Even to the point of your death, the king of glory sees your situation. And he wants to be there, but he's going to be there on his time. He's going to be there on his time. How many times, like me, have you rushed Jesus to get to something? You've rushed him and says, if you, would just be, if you would have just been there, Jesus. I'm going to encourage you this morning. God will get the glory on his time, not yours. On his time, not yours. And at some point, you have to come to grips with that. That God is in control. That Jesus is in control of these moments. Especially in death, that Jesus is, number, or is, is in control. But that, it doesn't stop there. As we go on to number two, in death, Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows your name. Just like Lazarus, Mary and Martha, Jesus knows your name. I love it at the beginning in verse one. It says, now a certain man was ill. Well, who was that certain man? Lazarus. Who are his sisters? Mary and Martha. Or who was his sisters? Mary and Martha. And I want to encourage you this morning. Jesus knows your name. He doesn't want you to feel like you're alone in the situations that you're going through. He wants to come and comfort you on his time. And there's something powerful when someone calls you by name, right? There's something powerful when someone knows you so well, or even knows you just a little bit and calls you and says your name. Remember, if we go back to Psalm 139, he knows everything about you. And he knows your name. Whether you're a believer in this place or not, he knows your name name. And that's what Jesus does. For the believer, he comes in and he wants to comfort you. For the unbeliever, he wants to comfort you. He wants you to, to realize that comfort is there. All you have to do is open the door for him. Man, Jesus does just that. He sees you're hurting and he wants to walk with you through it. He really does. So in death, Jesus is in control. In death, Jesus knows your name, but it, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Number three, in Jesus, death is defeated. That's where one of you kind of insert that amen moment right there, you know. So, so in Jesus, death is defeated. We'll try it one more time. In Jesus, death is defeated. Amen. There you go. So listen, death is a result of sin. That's why Jesus hated it so much. Death is a result of sin. And many, many, many people, maybe you in this, in this audience today, in this congregation, believe that death is the final blow. I like to ask people all the time, whether I'm at Walmart or I'm, I'm getting gas or just meeting people at school or whatever, just how's it going? And, and not a lot of students say this, but a lot of adults say this, any day above ground is I'm doing good. Maybe you heard that before. You know what I like to respond with? Even if I was in the ground, I'd be doing good. Because here's the deal, I'm going to be with Jesus for eternity. And as a believer, that's where our hope is, with Jesus in eternity. That's, that's the difference. Do you understand the difference between an unbeliever and a believer is hope? It's hope. 
Eternity is a long time. And man, when we think about that in Jesus, death is defeated. I have the assurance, you believers have the assurance of eternity in heaven. And, and again, one day it's going to happen. We need to understand that eternity is eternity. And when I think about hell, when I'm explaining hell with students, because that's one question that a lot of students have. What's hell like? Maybe you've never asked this, but a lot of teenagers ask this question. What's hell like? You know, is it fire? And you have the pointy-tailed guy over here with a pitchfork, and everybody's running around, <laughs> you know, running around and screaming at each other, and it's hot. And what's hell like? Is it really like that? Well, Scripture tells us what hell's like, and, you know, it's, it's eternal torment, and, and we see those things, the worm dieth not, and we don't really understand what that means, but there's is eternal torment. But you know what hell is, really? You know what the real definition of hell to me is? Eternal separation from Christ. You will never have a moment, ever, to spend eternity with Jesus. And in that fear, maybe you're here and you're fearful of that, Lord. Uh, uh, and we just we need to pray, Lord, deliver me of that fear. Maybe you want to talk to us, one of us pastors at the end of the service. We would love to walk you through that stuff. But for the believer, if you know that you, you're, you're, you're locked in in Jesus forever, listen, in Jesus, death is defeated. And lastly, number four, in Jesus dead people come alive. In Jesus, dead people come alive. When Jesus says in verse 25 that he is the resurrection and the life, he meant it. Notice that he doesn't say, I can resurrect people and I have life. No, he says, I am. That's a big, again, amen. So I am. That's what he is. That kind of verbiage allows us to lean in on him in our times of struggle, in our times of pain. We can be made alive in Christ in whatever situation you're dealing with. The moments that you're going, that's going on in your world right now, he can step right into them if you let him. And in Jesus, dead people come alive. Just like Jesus tells the people to unbind Lazarus and let him go, he does that same thing in your life. Listen, the enemy comes to bound you up. You realize that? He comes to, to, to tempt you, and that temptation is not to sin. It's to follow through, and that temptation is to sin. But he knows how to tempt you, and he binds your wrists, and he binds your feet, and he wants you as a believer to get you to the point where you ain't going to move. But what does Jesus tell Lazarus? Unbind him. Let him go. Because you know why? In Jesus, dead people come alive. And if you're in Jesus, you have come alive today. And that's good news. And that's good news. And I want to just pose this. Imagine, imagine if we have belie- as believers in this place lived out this encouragement. Imagine if we walked out of this place this week with all 700 people that are in Rutherford County this week. And live this out. If we're not fearful of death because we've been made alive in Christ. You know, Jesus asked Martha, you remember I, I talked to, about this question a little while ago, that Jesus asked Martha an important question that I think we could ask ourselves, and me included. I'm speaking to myself here too, not just you. But he asked four words that are so huge in this. He looked Martha right in the eyes and he says, Do you believe? Do you believe this? Do you believe these three words? Do you believe? 
That's a huge question. Do you believe that Jesus is in control? Do you believe that, that he can take whatever burden or struggle you're in and set you free from it? Do you believe that, that dead people uh, come alive in him? Do you believe that you are set free? My prayer is that my answer is the same. And my prayer is that your answer is the same as Martha's when she says this. Yes, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord, I believe. And so today, again, maybe some of you are in this, in this, in this place and, and you want to talk through those next steps. What's it mean? What's it, what's it mean to walk with Jesus? What's it mean to put my hope and my trust in him? What, I'd like to talk a little more. Well, well I'll, I would love the opportunity to talk to you today. I know Matt would love the honor to, to speak with you. We'll be standing in the back. and we would love, Maybe we would love to talk to you. Maybe that you, you've taken that step and you'd like to be baptized. Man, we would love to talk to you about that as well. Maybe you just have general questions, and we'd love to, to walk with you through that. Well, listen, just this week, let's take what we've learned this, this morning through a familiar story and understand that Jesus is in control, and we can be set free from death. We can be set free from death. Let's pray. God, I love you so much, and I thank you for your word, how it comes alive Lord, it's living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And you give us hope. You give us peace. You give us comfort in our struggling, Lord. This morning, Lord, I pray that you would comfort the folks that are in this room. I pray that you would give them peace, that you would give them comfort, Lord, if they're struggling in this fear of death. Lord, I ask that you would come in and meet them in their situations that you're, they're dealing with. Father, I pray that we this week will be reminded of your word, Lord. And I pray that you would bring this, these words back into our hearts where we would just give you glory, give you praise, give you adoration because you deserve it all, Jesus. So, Lord, as we worship you in this moment now, Lord, I pray that maybe some of us, we need to, we need to just talk to you a little bit. Maybe we just... We tell you what's on our hearts. But not only that, Lord, we, we listen. <laughs> a one-sided conversation is never fun. So, Lord, I pray that you would, you would speak to us this morning, Lord. Lord, we love you. I thank you for these folks that are here. Lord, I pray that you bless them so much this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray.